0: Welcome to Instruction Interruption, a podcast to celebrate New Mexico education in every corner of our beautiful state. I am host Mandy Torres, the 2020 New Mexico Teacher of the Year. Join us as educators talk pedagogy and practice and even share lessons they have learned along their teacher journey. This podcast is sponsored by the New Mexico Oil and Gas Association and is produced in collaboration with the New Mexico Public Education Department. This week, I sit down with our New Mexico Secretary of Education, Dr. Ryan Stewart, who celebrated his one-year anniversary with the PED in August. Stewart, a product of both Stanford and Harvard, hails from Arlington, Texas, and spent eight years molding the minds of middle schoolers before taking the plunge into leadership and administration. Fun fact about Dr. Stewart is that he played rugby during college, and he still has all of his teeth. Make sure you ask him about it the next time you run into him, although he's pretty busy these days leading New Mexico education through these unique and difficult times. But today, we're going to bypass the shop talk about policies and procedures, and just get into a candid conversation to get to know Dr. Stewart. Before we get started, here is a message from the NMPED regarding our quickly approaching deadline for the U.S. Census. Hi,
1: I'm Rebecca Jones, your 2020 Census Campaign Coordinator at the New Mexico Public Education Department. You are invited to be part of the Census Day of Action. That's today, September 14th. This is a time for all of us to come together to promote census participation across the state. The goal is to reach every New Mexican and let them know they can still participate in the 2020 census. It's important for everyone to be counted, even young children, as the census funds things like meals, special education, child care, and Medicaid. You only have until September 30th, so fill out your census today. You can do it by phone, mail, or online at 2020census.gov. Become a Census Ambassador and encourage your friends and family to do the same. Post on your social media using hashtag CensusMonday and follow us on Twitter at NMPED. You can also follow iCountNM on Facebook. Together, let's make sure every New Mexican is counted.
0: Thanks, Rebecca. And educators, please check with your families to make sure they have filled out their census. There is no citizenship question, and it only takes a few minutes to fill out your form. So put your pencils down, or maybe I should say turn your screens off and listen up. We're ready to interrupt your day with New Mexico's Education Leader. Thank you for joining us Secretary Stewart and your busy busy schedule. Um, I really appreciate that you were able to make time for us and for teachers. Um, Thanks for having me on Mandy. Yeah, and I think our teachers just want to get to know you a little bit better. So we'll just start. Um, describe what it was like growing up in Arlington, Texas, where you're from and what were you like as a young man and what do you remember about your school experience.
2: So I think um, I, I had uh, the great privilege of uh, uh, grow, growing up in a town that I, I really loved. And I had, I had a, a, just a wonderful and supportive community around me, uh, and multiple communities, really. And so I really think of, of my upbringing as just, just a blessing and, and had a, um, just had a really strong uh, community in our church. We had uh, a really strong system of public schools, which I was um, very fortunate to be able to participate in. Uh, and, uh, I, you know, I just had a really good group of people around to, to help keep me grounded and, and, uh, and, and keep me safe and, and mostly out of trouble. So uh, re- really good place, place to grow up. Um, it, it's, it's interesting kind of looking back. You definitely get all, uh, all gamuts of the political spectrum. Arlington is, I think, generally a pretty conservative place. Uh, but but not entirely, and so I think it gives a really good cross section of the country and uh, some of the differences that uh, people witness in, in their lives.
0: And yeah, my husband's from Texas, and he definitely has that mentality that Texas is the best place on earth. So, which part like... of Texas is he, is he from? <laughs> He's from Houston. Um, okay. Yeah, so a, a little bit different over there. Well, I'm maybe similar in some ways.
2: North, we North Texas people don't uh, cross paths that much with, with the Houstonites, uh, but uh, I, I, I've, I've got nothing but love for the for the Houston side of the state as well.
0: <laughs> Let's fast forward to college. Um, you graduated with an economics degree from Stanford. So, when and where did public education come into the picture?
2: So, when I went to college, I was I was pretty convinced I was going to do one of two things. I was either going to be a lawyer. Uh, and uh, I, I loved the show LA Law, and so I, I really wanted to be that Blair Underwood character uh, from LA Law. Um, clearly was not good looking enough to do that. Um, so either can be a lawyer or an investment banker. Um, and so I went to college kind of with that mindset uh, was kind of set on economics from when I started. Uh, and when I got onto campus and stuck with it all the way through, I think very, very few people do that with their major, but uh, I I did stick through it with my major, Um, and I, I went and took an internship at Morgan Stanley between my junior and senior year of college in their investment banking division, and I thought, all right, this is going to launch me on my path toward, uh, toward my investment banking and finance future, and I, uh, I got there, and I realized that um, in doing the work, and, and I, highly recommend that all people take internships and really get a chance to dip your toe in the water on your experiences. Because as I dipped my toe in the water, I realized that that was not what fulfilled me. Great people, um, you know, and and, they do um, incredibly interesting work. But for me, it just wasn't the thing that really got me up in the day and and made me connect with, uh, with what I loved and what I valued. And so I came back to campus really having no idea uh, in my senior year, what, uh, what was in store for me af- after graduation. It was at that point where I really started to reflect and think about what I wanted to do next. And the, the things that I really loved and the, that I really appreciated uh, were the opportunities that I had to work with kids uh, and, and do uh, instructional support on campus. I was part of a, a tutoring program uh, with students from the neighboring community, the East Palo Alto Tennyson Tutoring Program. And I loved being able to work with uh, the, the students who I got to work with every week. Uh, and I was also part of a, what they called the STEP program, where we would work with cafeteria staff who were learning English. Uh, and so we would help them uh, develop their English. So I got to work with cafeteria staff on that every week as well. And those were the things that I really liked to do and how I liked to spend uh, my time. Uh, and so I, uh, rather than investment banking, took a very, very big turn uh, and entered into teaching after I graduated.
0: Yeah, that's a pretty big turn, but it's interesting. I feel like a lot of teachers that I've met started out on a different path and something just kind of drew them back in, um, something that they just, you know, felt more connected to teaching in some ways. So yeah, that's a big turn, I would say, from going from to investment banking um, in that big corporate world to, to service and public education. So um, I think that's always very admirable when people make that decision. And Stanford, how did you pick Stanford out of, out of all the colleges out there?
2: Well, I think um, by nature of birth, my, my, my blood runs cardinal red. Um, <laughs> so, uh, my, bo- both my, so my mother and my father actually met at Stanford. So they, they were both students. My mom was an undergrad and my dad was a graduate student. My, very interestingly, my mom, the way they met, my mom was an RA in a dorm. And she, uh, she was taking her student to uh, the, the local health clinic on campus. And her student at the time happened to be Mae Jameson. Uh, the Oh well,
0: wow, the astronaut. the astronaut. Oh my god. So goodness. my
2: mom was taking Mae Jameson to the to the health clinic. And uh, my my dad was also there. And that's where they that's where they met and um, you know, flash forward X number of years and uh, they, they got married and eventually had me. So, so Stanford was always an interest for me that they, they certainly didn't push me to go there, but I just thought it was a magical place when we would go out to the, to the Bay area and go on campus, which, um, I got to do, um, I think twice, you know, uh, as a child. And I just thought it was just a, a wonderful, incredible place. The campus is amazing and gorgeous. It's, uh, the academics are, are top notch. And, uh, it was fun to be in that environment where you also excelled in, in athletics uh, the school did, and there's so many great opportunities and really interesting people all around. So, um, yeah, so for me, it was just a wonderful choice to be able to go there.
0: Yeah, I I, got, I visited it um, this uh, in February, and I loved it. It was so beautiful. I've never
2: seen your pictures.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was great. Although I, I love my alma mater, too. I think my alma mater is absolutely beautiful, too, but different background, right? I went to the University of Colorado, so we have the beautiful mountains, but um, yeah and it just felt so amazing to be on that campus just knowing that all of the great things that happen there so that was exciting. So you taught in the classroom for eight years. Uh, how would you describe yourself as a classroom teacher?
2: So I was a, I was an algebra teacher and, and physical science teacher and um, you know first year of course it's always just a uh, I remember my, my first year of teaching and the, the learning the stress. Uh, I mean I have a stressful job right now and I think they're running about neck and neck as to as to uh first year <laughs> teaching versus versus where I am now. So I I have uh, just nothing but incredible respect for those who jump into the teaching profession and how hard it is those first years. Yeah, I really tried to be um somebody who was really focused on trying to create a, a classroom environment where uh, got to play to kids' strengths and got to get kids up and talking to each other uh, and, and trying to think about and be very clear about what it is that we were trying to accomplish together. So uh, in my setup, I, I, I tried to frame the day by starting out, uh, of course, not only laying out the objective, but really trying to say, you know, if, if we really hit what our goal is today. This is what, you know, we will have accomplished. And these are the kinds of things, these are the kinds of questions you'll be able to answer. Uh, and so I want my kids to feel really good about their day and uh, whether or not they uh, felt like, uh, yes, I, I'm there. I'm there with you, Mr. Stewart. I, I, I feel like I'm able to do that. Or just knowing that they, that they still had work to do. Um, you know, very challenging, of course. And, uh, I think from a science perspective, I tried to, to create opportunities to design and to build and to uh, reflect on whether or not the the process that you went through got you to the result that that you hoped for, or if it, there were things that surprised you. So we tried to do as much hands on as we could. Um, and really, I think, just try to uh, try to create an atmosphere where, where kids felt that they were they were comfortable and, and uh, cared for and loved in the classroom and safe and uh, you know that's always, a, that's always a journey, right? It's not a destination. I, I know that I, I still had work to do. And, I, and I, got to, I got to mentor a lot of new teachers as well in the last uh, kind of five years uh, of my work. And getting to go around to different classrooms was just eye-opening because uh, I got to both learn from other people, some really, really great, really strong teachers. Uh, and then also help uh, try to accelerate teacher performance and keep people in the classroom longer. Uh, and that was just really rewarding work.
0: Yeah, I think, I think that work is important. I think that's what a lot of our teachers need. They just need someone to come into their classroom and be like, hey, this is what I see, you know, how can I help. So I I think that would be really fun work too. Um, Let's see. In middle school, right? You did middle school. I I always admire middle school teachers because I I don't know how they do it.
2: i I love middle school kids. I think it is just a great great age to teach. Uh, uh, of course the you know the, the hormones are going crazy identity there's identity crises all the time and and so on but it's just so fun because they're not yet high schoolers and and kind of having developed uh, into uh, you know the, the pre-adult versions of themselves uh, but they're past they're past elementary school and just in this interesting phase where... Um, you know, they're really trying to figure out who they are and what they're about and who their group is. And you know, it's 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 a pretty fun fun age, to, I think, to be around.
0: What motivated you to step away from all of that, to step out of the classroom and start taking on more leadership roles?
2: So what the, the work that I did as a mentor, I think, was really eye-opening. I got a lot more of a systems perspective as to... Um, School districts and how they run and you know what they're good at and where they struggle and and the impact of leadership and and I think both for good and bad. I really saw the impact of leadership and what it could either promote or the barriers that it could put in place. And so I knew that if I really wanted to have the kind of impact that that I hoped for systemically that I wanted to be a part of uh, of a leadership and, and a leadership team that is going to be essential for making sure that that all kids have and all teachers have the conditions that they need to thrive. And I I certainly can't say that in all of my my journeys and a couple of different districts and nonprofits and so on, you know, I've seen great leadership and I've seen, you know, really, really uh, detrimental leadership. And it's almost... The the level of uphill journey that's required to overcome detrimental leadership is um, it's just so enormous and immense. So I wanted to go invest in myself and invest in my ability to lead. So I I left classroom work, I left my teacher mentorship work, uh, and I went back for my graduate degree because I really wanted to um, you know in addition to the instructional work I did, really want to build out my my managerial skills my organizational understanding of how organizations work and, um, and government and policy.
0: So you talked about how you said that your philosophy as a leader has been to lead with love. Talk about what that means to you and, and how have you gone about doing that here in New Mexico?
2: Yeah, so I don't think I understood it when I was younger, uh, what that meant. I, I think when I, when I was um, still in the early years of my career Uh, Leadership to me was really about keeping the trains running on time and being really efficient, right? And if if you did that and, um, you know, you really kind of held that close in line, that's a strong leader. Uh, And I think those things are incredibly important. But when I was a a teacher mentor um, back in 2009, my my mom was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And um, very, very rapid onset, uh, and so over the, the course of the next three months, her health really slowly declined. I shouldn't say slowly, rapidly declined. And I had to spend uh, a lot of time helping my dad and and be away from my work, from my mentorship work and from, from classrooms. And, you know, I, I was fortunate enough at the time to have a, a leader and a boss who understood that for me to be my best self professionally, I had to really be my best self personally and, and be able to attend to uh, the, the work that I had to do with, with my mom and, and uh, supporting my dad. And so I really came to understand what that kind of leadership means in terms of not just being about um, efficiency and, and results, but really caring about the, the human attending, attending to them and, and creating an atmosphere in the team of support uh, and mutual trust and respect. And so when I, when I came back uh, after my mom passed, um, yeah, I just came back with a, a renewed sense of appreciation for what that means, and how you have to focus so much on building a team that can support each other, for building a team that um, uh, will have each other's backs, and for caring deeply about the people who who work around you. and And I think those parts of leadership are—I um, don't know if they're promoted enough or if people really care about them enough. And I always challenge myself to to see if I'm doing that. I always fall short of the mark, and don't hit it every single time. But but uh, it's something that um, that I want to make sure that I value and communicate out to, to my team. I think it makes for, for better employees, more productive employees, and I think it, it creates the kind of environment that people want to be in.
0: You talk about the book, The New Jim Crow, being one that stands out for you, both as inspiring and enraging. Um, explain your thoughts on our criminal justice system and how that relates to what's happening in our school systems.
2: Yeah. So that book, and it's, it's just a powerful, powerful book. Um, several, year, several years old now, but I think all of the points in it, of course, have, have, have remained uh, since its publication. This idea of creating systems that are just so systemically and intentionally designed to perpetuate hierarchies and to, to separate, uh, especially, black men in this country for, for so long. And, and it's enraging to really look at kind of an, in every statistic she pulls out and kind of every example of where one might interact with the criminal justice system. You just see the tilt toward locking up uh, black and brown bodies and disenfranchising and, and, and creating a system where uh, it just has these devastating impacts on, on communities and on families and on the lives of, of so many. Uh, and I, I, read that book, uh, at the same time I was reading another book on, um, it was bad by Matt Taibbi and I'm forgetting the name of it, but it was a, uh, it was kind of a perspective on the justice system if you're rich versus the justice system if you're poor. And so, so I read those books back to back. And at the end of it, I was, <laughs> I was, I was depressed and I was also like, we've, we've got work to do. We, it just, uh, it, it just can't be the fact that, um, as black men, we, we we contribute so much to the country. We, we love the country and uh, wanna do so much for our families and our communities uh, and uh, c- to continue to see that be perpetuated. Uh, it's just, it's, um, you know, it was eye-opening. And you asked about schools and I think there's an interesting connection there on, when we talk about schools. And I think a lot about this notion of um, in our schools, um, the extent to which we we criminalize non-criminal behaviors, because uh, I know a, as a kid I I did a lot of stupid things, got got myself into a, a a decent amount of trouble, not too much where it would totally derail me, but a decent amount of trouble here and there, and but I was a kid, and and kids sometimes do those things, uh, and even if I think about the worst thing I've ever done, it certainly is not emblematic of who I am as a person. Uh, and, and grateful that I was uh, in a situation and with a strong enough community where um, when I did have a transgression or made a mistake, uh, it didn't result in me in the, in the back of a squad car or laying down the street in handcuffs. And, you know, we, we just have too many places in, in the country where that's not true, where uh, non-criminal behaviors where children being children uh, and where children making mistakes ends up with children uh, going to jail. And so... You know, I think we have a lot of work to do on making sure that we, we were not criminalizing non-criminal behaviors. I've thought a lot about it as my role here and what my ability and, and um, policy decisions that we can make to try to make a difference on that here, uh, including how we both train uh, and uh, resource and, and uh, oversee our, our school security personnel uh, and making sure that uh, our school leaders as well are, are trained in how we can best avoid the, the criminalization of, of non-criminal behaviors through our, through our discipline systems and our positive behavior support systems. So, uh, so again, I think that, um, you know, that, that book and, and uh, others kind of in that vein are, are uh, things that help me connect to why this work is so important.
0: You know, there's a lot of, I think a lot of schools are kind of starting to look into restorative justice practices and our discipline policies in our schools. What are your feelings on, on how we should be approaching that?
2: Yeah, one of the things, and, and this isn't just with restorative justice. I think it, it, this crosses a lot of different, both academic and non-academic sections. But the notion of um, if you're going to do something like a restorative justice program, you have to go deep and you have to mean it and you have to devote the time and resources to do it. And what, what I fear is, um, you know, restorative justice, it's, it's a hot topic. It's something that a lot of people are looking at. And I fear that it has the potential to become a fad if people don't take it deep and don't really ingrain it. Because doing that kind of doing that kind of work well means you have to do not only the you know everybody came to a you know two hour training after school one day and then signed the, signed the sheet saying that they were there. You, know, you have to really put a lot of time and energy into it. You have to do the difficult mindset work with staff members and with students around. This is how we used to do it we're doing things very differently and it means you're going to have to respond differently to certain things that you see and you're going to have to continue working at it even when it's hard even when you feel like you're not getting the results that you want you have to keep doing it keep pushing at it uh, and keep training people on it and so the i think the places that do that really well stayed with it for a for a long period of time trained people deeply for a long period of time Um, To really have it ingrained in the culture so that every new person who comes in there knows that this is how things are done here. And I think there's plenty of places who probably haven't done it very well where you know it it was a a one stop workshop. Uh, Now we're a restorative justice school, but we don't really have the systems in place. We haven't done the deep mindset work that comes with that so you can say that about a lot of things in education, I would certainly say it about restorative justice. And I think that um, when people are willing to dive into that and just be responsive to the fact that our goal uh, in a behavioral system is to get kids to the point where they can be successful and thrive and they're going to make mistakes along the way. And we need to be here for them to support them through those mistakes.
0: So let's switch gears a little bit to your to your family now. Um, and I didn't know that about your mom. I was really sorry to hear that you that your family had to go through that. But let's just fast forward to your own family and your son. So I just wanted to ask you about a little story. I asked you about what's what's a bright spot, a success story that you have. And you mentioned that you built a stool with your son. Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: So I've got a I've got just a a wonderful little ten year old guy who uh, you know, is just the center of, of my world. And, um, you know, he, like so many 10 year old boys, he, uh, he can very easily get obsessed in his latest, uh, video game or, or, uh, you know, watching, uh, you know, whatever happens to be showing up on, on, uh, Netflix and, uh, you know, kind of, kind of all, all of the other stuff that, you know, little 10 year old boys like to do. Uh, and so it was, it was great to kind of pull him away from, uh, from those things and just say, you know what, like, let's you and I just be creative and, and uh, do something fun with our hands. Um, and so we went out to the store, got a bunch of wood, found a plan online and you know, together spent um, you know, a, a kind of a full day just building this stool together and me teaching them how to use the tools and um, you know, figuring out how we wanted to paint it and making it cut and that, that was bad and going back and doing it again and kind of, kind of all of those things and, and, and working through it. And it was just really, really fun. Uh, and so, for you know, the, the full time to do it because you know we're amateur woodworkers here, so we go slow. It does take us a full day to do what a good woodworker could probably do in twenty minutes. Uh, and, and we came out with uh, this stool, which he now has in 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 his room and and uses and and loves. And I can just foresee that being the thing that kind of travels with him to a bunch of different places. And when I'm old and gone, uh, he'll look back and be like, I remember that day when we got to build that stool together. So. And it worked you know it hasn't broken yet so that's another piece I like about.
0: is it does it lean a little bit is it a little wobbly or is it good
2: well, maybe a little bit just a little pretty close though
0: i love doing stuff with my hands too but mine always just never end up like they're supposed to be
2: Yeah.
0: even with paintings i we did this paint day one day with my daughter where we went and she, she loves unicorns so we went to this paint day where we did unicorns um, a couple years ago for her birthday and I was terrified because I'm not really artistic and so I'm like trying to paint this paint in I don't know if you've done those before um yeah, they turned out pretty well but I think it's more about the memory and and really cherishing those times um so just one last question what do you think about New Mexico because you you grew up in Texas um and then you've been in Philadelphia um you worked you did some of your work out there and what are just your kind of thoughts about New Mexico
2: so um uh- I had, uh, i I'd, I'd been to, um, before I took this job, I'd been to, uh, New Mexico a handful of times. The, I think the longest one was to go to Santa Fe to go, go skiing. I actually have a pastor who was my pastor back in Arlington who moved to Santa Fe. So she brought myself and my dad out and took a skiing up here in, in Santa Fe when I was still in high school. So I think that, that was the, the first time I got to know New Mexico. So I, I associate, I've always associated New Mexico with that, with that trip, the green chili that we ate and the skiing that we got to do. Uh, and so kind of in, in coming back, it, it, it certainly feels like my introduction to the state has been so warm and so positive. And the, the people who I've gotten to meet have been just really supportive and all really hopeful for, for what we can accomplish together in education. So I've really appreciated that. I love the food. Absolutely love the food. You can't get anything close to this in, in Philadelphia uh, or Boston where I went to grad school. So it's, it's so nice to be back in a place where like this, I just look forward to every meal and it's absolutely beautiful Uh, and, and so diverse too. like just geographically going from North to South, getting to travel kind of all over the state, which is, which is fun for me in this job kind of getting to go to all sorts of different places and in every corner. Um, so I, I've really, really enjoyed my uh, kind of. Uh, I'm coming up on one year, so I've, re- I've really enjoyed my my time.
0: Although with the pandemic, you haven't been able to enjoy it as much as as <laughs> much as you probably could.
2: No, no, I think this pandemic has uh, uh, very much thrown everything for uh, the biggest loop possible. Um, but um, you know, uh, there's still some beautiful hikes to be had, uh, and there's still you know good. Uh, Lots of good uh, places to be able to explore at a social distance.
0: So are you a red or green or a Christmas?
2: I'm going to go green. I'm a green
1: guy.
0: (laughs) Me too. All right, Secretary. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to join us. And thank you for all the work that you've been doing and good luck moving forward.
2: Well Mandy, just to all of your listeners, I just want everyone to know that uh, it's been an incredible uh, privilege getting to getting to uh, use your talents and, and, and your uh, your passion for for this work and and have you be a part of the Teacher of the Year community and and work so closely with the public education
0: department. So thank you. All right, Thank you, Secretary Stewart. We'll see you around. Take care. Thanks again to Secretary Stewart. I did ask him about hobbies that he has, and he did say that he used to have some, such is the life of an educator. Make sure to listen to our previous episodes, and be sure to follow the NMPED on Twitter to stay up to date with information and upcoming events. May your week ahead include laughter, and may you lead your students with love. Thanks for listening.